Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, tracking wildlife from birds to platypus. Your teacher is Professor Richard Kingsford from the Centre for Ecosystem Science at the University of New South Wales. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Richard. The history of this goes back really to the dawn of time, doesn't it? Uh, Human beings trying to track animals and understand the the patterns of their movements. Absolutely. I mean, for a large part of human history, they've depended on catching animals for food and knowing where they are, tracking them with their footprints and their droppings and behaviours was all about that. It was about in uh, the early 1800s when the American, French-American ornithologist John Audubon sort of was the first person to put bands or rings on birds and he was interested to find out what happened to a bush bird that's called a Phoebe and he showed they migrated back to the site where, you know, his home was and those nest sites each year and I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago I talked to you about how I used to be the pigeon monitor at my primary school in Africa and it was my job to put rings on the pigeons and then they would go off with the cricket team and come back with sort of a score after three hours. Oh, is that right? It's an intermediate score. Oh, wow, okay. So, you know, it's been really useful to have this way of of doing this and and even 40 years ago when I did my PhD on wood ducks around Taralga, um... I banded up to more than a thousand wood ducks with uh, a metal ring, but also different coloured combinations of rings so that I could look at a flock of wood ducks and notice which individuals were paired with which ones and who was paired and what their sort of whole uh, mating system was, but also what, what their movements are. So really useful. And even more recently, I was actually last week down in near Balranald and there was a big pelican colony down there um, breeding birds. But there was a team um, banded pelicans just north of there at Lake Brewster. And those birds were, one of those birds was actually breeding up at Narran Lakes, which which is way up north of Burke. So we know that, you know, movements in terms of birds and rings is has is, is been going on for some time. Or okay, and you wouldn't it. know any of that without bird banding. So it starts in 1903. Is the, um, 1803, uh, yeah. 1803, yeah. sorry. We're going to talk about other forms of, yeah. of, of tagging in a second. But in terms of bird banding, it's still the same as it was in, in 1803? It's still pretty much the same. Uh, we're getting better at uh, getting um, the coloured bands on there. But, you know, the, the same techniques, those legs basically will hold a metal ring. Um, there are different ways of sort of reading some of the numbers. So you've got the individual bird as well. But you, that's sort of the tried mm-hmm. and tested methodology that keeps on giving. Okay, but it's now been joined, especially with other animals, with a whole range of more technological solutions. Yeah, look, I mean, the, 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 the way that, are, are using trackers essentially. And these are small backpacks or collars that don't interfere with the, the animal's movement. So you're thinking about birds and bats and turtles. They usually have a sort of transmitter backpack, um, whereas things like... A large, backpack? Yeah, a backpack. So like I'm a, imagining a bat with a bat, <laughs> backpack. Well, yeah, it should be a, a bat pack, actually. A yeah. little bat pack. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, big animals like camels or cats or elephants, for example... Um, they'll have a collar that goes around their neck and and it sort of hangs from there. Whereas even tiny things like when Jody's talking about her frogs, they will wear a transmitter around their waist. And for some of the animals that we're catching at at wild deserts, things like 
bilbies. They, they have transmitters on their tails. And then we've got things like even snakes. Um, we're currently actually uh, putting transmitters into warmer pythons up at wild deserts to track where they're going. And you do that with surgery and uh, just under the skin. And then you let them go and, they, and then you're able to track them. And uh, find out all these things. Do they, do they mind? Do they mind the weight of it? Uh, it's got to be sort of less than 5%. That's a critical thing. Essentially, um, you can't have something that's too weighty. And that obviously changes with the type of animal. So if you've got an elephant, you can put anything on an elephant, obviously. But if you've got a bat, you've got to have a tiny transmitter. And it's, it's, the issue there is the battery. And, and, you know, if the battery doesn't last as long, it can't transmit as much data. And so you've got, you've got a range of different types of transmitters, um, so those animals that don't move very far, we use sort of radio transmitters with VHF, very high frequency, and essentially they're located with an antennae and a receiver um, from the transmitter. And we use those at wild deserts for, you know, things like the bandicoots. But when when you're talking about things that move a lot, so at wild deserts we had to use satellite trackers for cats because they started to go a lot further than we expected and, and we needed to work out where they were going. And that's crucial, of course, because this is the fenced area, wild deserts, that's where right. you're trying to breed up the population of, of, uh, of, of the bandicoots and so forth. You need to know where the cats are. And we need to better control those cats and understand where they're going and, and be able to move in and, and, and stop them uh, in, in different places. But it, it's those satellite transmitters, and you were talking to Millie earlier, but you know when she was talking about that godwit that's gone from Alaska to New Zealand... That is with a satellite tracker on that tiny bird. And, you know, I've got a PhD student currently, um, uh, Simon Gort, who's working on sooty terns up at Norfolk Island. And and he's been working out that these animals, they nest between November and, and January, and the males and females take it in turns. And one sits on the eggs or the chick for a week, and the other one goes feeding. And he's had one of his birds uh, essentially went 2,200 kilometres out to sea. So a round trip of about 5,000 kilometres. And you would, there's no way you would know that without a satellite. And that was to bulk up its own food source. And also bring food back for the chick. So by the time, you know, the chick's there, it needs to be fed. It probably doesn't go as far, but it's in the incubation stage, those long distances probably happen. But um, I guess it's, you know, these radio and satellite transmitters can store that GPS location data which makes them really important in terms of working out where they go. And we've got technology like solar panels now that are really important. Yeah. Sorry, I've got to stop you there. Solar panels? What, yeah. on the bat? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, not so much the bat because they're out, out at night and they're not going to get a lot of sun. But, 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 you know, the birds certainly have little solar panels to recharge the battery. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing technology. That is amazing, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So they've really. got their own power source. Own, own power source that, that's building. And, and even more recently, um, transmitters have been uh, basically plugging into the phone network, the GSM or Global System for Mobile Communication. So your transmitters out and about, out of Telstra um, range, coverage or yeah. range, like in the middle of Sydney in some places. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but, but when it comes back in, um, it basically downloads the data. So 
you know, some of those sooty terms, we had GSMs on them. They were going out, collecting a whole lot of location data, storing it on the memory, then coming back to a mobile station there that downloaded the data as soon as it got contact. Okay, and that's very different to 1803, isn't it? Because it in is. 1803, you have to relocate the animal to find out any information. In this case, you wouldn't have to necessarily relocate the animal. No, you don't. And and, and actually, there's, there is another little technology, these, these tiny geolocators that you put on the legs of birds and, um, and, and other animals, but basically they record light and then they've got an internal clock and, and the amount of light and the clock tells you where that animal was at certain times. bit difficult when it's shady because, you know, they don't uh, record that light. But those are the same sort of, um, they're, they're called, with, with mammals like the sharks and, and whales, these are pop-up satellite archival tags that work on the same basis. But again, with the, with the sharks and mammals, they can actually be released at a certain time. With the birds, you've got to catch them on the nest. So there are lots of birds that come back, like albatross, for example, come back to exactly the same nest every year. Mm. And you can just take the geolocator with a, a year's worth of data. And know where they've been. And, and know where they've yeah, been. And yeah. it will have recorded all over the place where it's gone. So there is... There's some great technology in terms of the satellite transmitters. And the point of all this, of course, is to often save them. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, the last bit of transmitter stuff are the acoustic tags that we use, a lot of people use on fish, but also we use on platypus, that basically you put an acoustic tag in and it goes up and down the river and pings every time it finds a receiver station. So you know how far it's gone who's gone where and where the males have gone, where the females mm. have gone. But ultimately we're building this magnificent picture of where these animals are, both for conservation but also for feral animals understanding what their movements are. And, of course, in terms of platypus, that's a very good example, isn't it? We've talked before about how often damming prevents them from getting up and down the river. This is the way to check that, isn't it? That's right. So you can put these trans uh, the receivers all the way up and down a river and you work out exactly what the territory of a particular platypus is, what are the males doing, what are the females doing, what are the juveniles doing, and get a much deeper picture of, of what's happening. And as the technology improves, we're getting smaller and smaller batteries and solar panels, and it's allowing us to collect more and more data on these animals that in the old days you might have had a, a ring that you put on a bird and you wait for a year for it to come back or you go out with your binoculars and, and see what it's doing. But right now we've got that data telling us all the time what that animal is doing and it opens up a whole lot of understanding about ecology but also conservation and protection. I know, but I do like the image of uh, those animals with their little solar panels <laughs> and their, their transmitting backpacks. Hey, uh, Richard, thank you so much for the lesson. Thanks This is uh, Professor Richard Kingsford. From the Centre for Ecosystem Science at the University of New South Wales. You can listen, of course, or share his lesson. It's online, abc.net.au. Next week, Professor Kingsley Dixon will be here, botanist from Curtin University. His topic is thieves and orchids. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next week.